Today's Old Testament reading comes from Psalm 136, which can be found on page 626 of your Red Bibles. We will read responsively. I will read a line and you will respond together saying, His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Who alone does great wonders. Who by his understanding made the heavens. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. Who made the great lights. The sun to govern the day. The moon and stars to govern the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it, but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness, to him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings. Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his servant Israel. He remembered us in our low estate and freed us from our enemies. He gives food to every creature. Thanks to God of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please turn with me to our New Testament lesson? I'm going to have you find Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 15, and keep that open in front of you. And as you're doing that, I'll find Romans and read just one verse from Romans to set the stage for us. So you find Ephesians 5 uh, on page 1176. Before we read our Ephesians passage... This one verse from Paul in Romans 15, he says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. And then Ephesians chapter 5. In fact, Why don't we uh, go up and I'll read 
two verses from the beginning of Ephesians chapter 5 before we move on. Ephesians 5 begins this way. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then to verse 15. Be careful then how you live, not as wise, or not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the word of the Lord. You've noticed a theme here. This is a musical and a singing sort of Sunday. I love music. I love to sing. I'm not a very good singer. Maybe like average, but not so good. I need to sing with people for it to work. Does anybody else feel that way? Like, you can sing, but there better be people with me when I sing. Now, sometimes I get in a situation where because I can kind of sing and I can play the guitar, people will ask me to lead a song on a guitar. And it's hard when I get started and I strum the guitar to find the right note where the song starts. Like, if I can find that right note, then I can kind of lead the song, right? But finding that first note is hard. But eventually, when others get the hang of the song, they can keep me in the right key and keep me kind of in tune, right? That's the beauty of singing together. Okay, let's say, let's say that there is a funeral, okay? And for some reason, they have assigned me to lead Amazing Grace on the guitar. Right? That would be appropriate, all except for the part where I'm supposed to lead. Let's say I start singing, I strum, and then I start singing in the wrong key. But then the rest of the congregation hears what's going on, and they sing louder, and they sing in the right key, and I, my brain clicks in finally to the right key, that would be a little bit awkward, right? But it wouldn't be the end of the world. Awkward, but not the end of the world. But what if this happens? We're at a funeral. Amazing Grace is in the bulletin, led by Pastor Andy. Oh, no. But I get up, and instead of singing Amazing Grace, I start singing and playing Amazing by Aerosmith, or American Pie by Don McLean, or American Girl by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. 
Some of you might be like, cool. But it's a funeral, and it says Amazing Grace in the bulletin. You know, that would be a problem. Maybe we would be able to laugh. We would clap along. We would tap our toes. We would be thinking about something other than the fact that we've gathered to face death and to mourn and grieve for the one that we've lost. Like, there's some pros, but there are some cons too. Which is worse at a funeral? A little awkwardness if I sing off-key? We have some honest tears and we sing our amazing grace together. Or, if we end up singing the wrong song altogether, perfectly in tune, and one that helps us to forget the sadness of the occasion and to feel good, even if it's just for three and a half minutes. Which is worse at a funeral? Paul calls us, as we've read, to hymn one another, to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to the Lord and to one another. Our problem is that we often sing not just out of key, but we often sing the wrong song entirely. And so that means we need someone to come along and to sing the song with us and for us and to us. And then we need to learn to sing and we need ultimately to sing in order to keep learning. So that's where we're going this morning. Singing the wrong song first. We'll listen for the song of the Savior and then we'll learn to sing and sing to learn. Singing the wrong song the song of the Savior, learning to sing, and singing to learn. Let's start with singing the wrong song. Martin Luther always says funny things. One of the things he said was, you know, it's better to think about church while you're sitting in a bar than it is to think about the bar while you're sitting in church. <laughs> I think he's right about that. We might say that it's better to sing church songs in the bar than it is to sing bar songs in the church. And Paul says that we often sing the wrong song, not just in church, but with our mouths, with our very lives. And we do this when we fill ourselves up with something other than the Spirit of God. We were meant Verse 2, that's why I read it for us. We were meant to live lives of love. Verse 2. But, verse 18, if we fill up on the wrong thing, then what comes out of us are songs, but they're the wrong songs. And they're ultimately not the love songs that we need to hear and sing. In verse 18, Paul says, we shouldn't get drunk on wine. Why? Because it leads to debauchery. English is my mother tongue, and I still wasn't sure what that word meant. Basically, it means it's the stupid things that you say and do, the unloving songs that you sing with your attitude and words and actions when you're filled up with alcohol. And Paul is definitely talking about alcohol here, right? But when we read the whole chapter together and see what's on Paul's heart, we can also see that 
drunkenness with alcohol is not what we should be doing, but that drunkenness here is also a metaphor for the many other things that we fill ourselves up with. Verse 3, if you want to peek there at your Bibles. We're filled with lust. And so what comes out? The song we sing is the unlove song of sexual immorality. We're filled up in that same verse with greed and outcomes from our lips and our lives, the ugly song of lies, unethical practices that we are able to justify in order to get what we must, must have. Verse four, we're filled up perhaps with the deep desire to have people like us and to laugh with us instead of laughing at us. And so out comes these false songs of crude jokes, ugliness in our humor and all the rest. Whatever fills us up is going to come out in song. Why are we singing the wrong songs? I think it's because it's like we're at a funeral together and we don't want to deal with the reason we're there with hurt and sorrow and brokenness and death. And so we take something good, sex and alcohol and rock and roll, and we sing those songs, as it were, at a funeral. Now, Jesus turns water into wine as his first miracle. Wine is not the problem. The problem is that, of course, We don't have the courage and the character to face the reality of this broken world. And so we fill ourselves up with things like alcohol. Some of us fill ourselves with other things. Some of us escape difficulties happening in our family life by overworking until the song of our life ends up being He escaped by working all the time. Kind of an ugly song. Some of us escape difficulties in our workplaces by becoming obsessed with sexual pleasure, for example. Until the song of our lives is, she escaped the pain of love by filling up on sex instead. Some of us escape the disappointment in our marriages by becoming obsessed with our children until the song of our lives is they crushed their kids under the weight of their expectations. Paul says, verse 16, friends, yes, you look out at the world and the days are evil. You're seeing things right. This is a sorrowful world. But what song are you going to sing with your life during these tough, evil days? Will it be a song of escape from the love that you're meant to show? Or will it be a song of love, a song of amazing grace in the face of the world's sorrows? I think in one way or another, if you and I are honest, we're often singing the wrong song, aren't we? We're often singing the wrong song. And when we sing the wrong song, we're not helping one another bear life's realities, its difficulties. We're not singing a song of love with our lives. 
And that means that more than anything else, we need someone to sing a song of love to us with their lives. And that's our second thing, the song of the Savior. All of this can feel pretty depressing, right? We started off at a funeral and we ended up all singing the wrong song at the funeral. Things are bad in a sense and we often make them worse. What now? We can back up and ask, why is Paul writing this letter? Why is he calling us to sing a new and different song, both with our mouths and with our actual lives? Well, the reason that he's so passionate about the new song we ought to sing is because Paul himself has heard in the life of Jesus of Nazareth the very song of God. The very song of God. He's heard God's song turned sweet and beautiful in Jesus. And he sees that this song of God sung through the life of Jesus does not ignore the darkness and the evil that is all around. It's not a song like the one we might sing if we were in charge. We'd sing the song of giving up and starting over maybe with new people or new things. But Jesus sings the song of God to us, even though we are stuck singing the wrong songs of greed, of lust, of drunkenness, of workaholism, or whatever. And what is the song of God that Paul has heard Jesus sing? What does this song sound like? This song that has captured Paul's heart and has sent him running around the ancient world singing of God's love and amazing grace? It sounds like the song of the Savior. Like the song, for example, that God sang through Zephaniah the prophet way back when. One of the sweetest four lines, five lines in the whole Bible. What's the song? The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. God will rejoice over you with singing, all the while being a strong savior, a singing strong savior. Paul realized that Jesus was God's love song, sung in a fully human life from start to finish. Paul realized that, verse 2, in Christ, God had loved us and given himself up for us. And Paul had realized that when Jesus went and healed the sick and when he liberated the people that were oppressed by demons, when he ate dinner with really bad people, that he was singing and he was living God's song of love. It finally occurred to Paul that when Jesus sang the Psalms, the happy Psalms about God's glory and his faithfulness, that Jesus was singing God's song of love, not just with his melodies, but with his very life. But here's the thing. Paul also realized that when Jesus got his psalm book out, he sang the sad Psalms of darkness and despair and loneliness and that even as he did that 
he was singing with us and in our place. That God in Christ was facing our experience and in our place was singing love back to God. From the places where we live, from inside the sorrows that we feel. So when the world that God created grew dark and ugly, God didn't distract himself or medicate himself with something else. He didn't take up a new hobby, create a new universe, try again. And he also didn't allow his righteous anger to be the final theme of his song. But God knew exactly what it would cost to face the darkness and to sing into the darkness a song of his love. And even though he knew, still Jesus came and he sang in his coming, in his life, in his ministry, in his suffering, in his death, in his resurrection. We sing the wrong song, but in our ears, we're able to hear the song of the Savior. Have you heard it? Do you hear the song? Do you hear it pulling you and the song of your life back into tune, out of the cacophony of the wrong song and maybe even the right song sung way out of tune? You've got to hear this song of the Savior. And that leads us to our third thing, really the point of our sermon today. We've got to learn to sing, and we've got to sing to learn. If we hear it, if we are captured by this best song of all, the song of God's compelling love in Christ, Paul says then that it's time for us finally, once again, to sing. Instead of seeing the sorrows of this world and filling up on food and work and wine and sex and success or whatever else, Paul says, verse 18, be full instead of the spirit of God. So the reality is, the world is difficult and dark. We're called to face that reality and like the Savior and with the Savior to sing, nevertheless, a new song. To sing a new song. And we must, Paul tells us, learn to sing. You don't just, you're not just born a rock star or an opera star. We must learn to sing, and we must sing to learn. First, we learn to sing. There's a lot of stuff here about wisdom and foolishness as well. Instead of foolishly singing the wrong song, Paul says we've got to be wise. Verse 16, we've got to make the most of every opportunity. Any part of our lives where we can sing into the darkness, we've got to be able to sing. We've got to learn to sing the right song and to sing it well. The Bible's always talking about wisdom. We'll get to wisdom from the Proverbs and from the Old Testament stories in a couple of weeks as we think more about one anothering. But for now, Paul says, we've got to learn to sing the right song with our lives. And this means, as it always does when we need to gain wisdom that we don't have, it means that we need to learn from wise people. You find somebody who's singing the song pretty well. And you ask them to sing a line for you. And then you sing the line back to them. 
And then they show you how to breathe and form your vowels and sing in pitch and in rhythm. If we're going to learn how to sing, to live lives of love, to sing these one anothering songs all throughout the New Testament, then we need the wisdom, don't we? And the experience of those who sing these songs and sing them well. If you've heard the love song of God sung over you with delight in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, then it's time to learn to sing. Who is your voice coach? If you don't have one, if you don't have a wise and experienced one, then how are you going to learn to sing the Lord's song in a weird world like this, at a weird time like this. But we don't just need to learn to sing. Paul is also, this is interesting, he is calling us to sing to learn. Not just to learn to sing, but to sing to learn. You know, it's okay if you put your earbuds in and you put your favorite hymns in there or your favorite Chris Tomlin songs or whatever you love to listen to that reminds you of God's love. And you walk around town or on the way to work listening in. That's great. It's okay if you're in the shower and you want to sing hymns and praise songs there to God and to yourself. That's fine. But we can't stop there. Don't just listen and enjoy and kind of feel good because you're hearing about Jesus. What a nice song. What a good singer. What a great message. That's fine. But Paul says, verse 19, you all need to make music. And this music is not just, it is, but it's not just in your heart, but it's supposed to go, he says, from your heart. From your heart. The melody goes outward. It's not that it's not for you when you sing, but it's especially for the Lord. And verse 19, did you see this? For one another. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit. And we don't just need to learn to sing these songs to one another. We need to sing these songs in order to learn from one another. Colossians has a passage similar to this one. And Paul says there that we teach and admonish one another by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with grace in our hearts. We teach by singing. Our lives are supposed to be songs, but our songs are supposed to actually be songs too. Like actual songs to God and especially here to and for one another. Have you ever been in church and you, you sing a song and you're like, who is this song for? Like, am I singing to God or am I singing, who's listening? Should we sing songs in church to someone other than God? It's a weird question, right? But think about it. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. We sing, for example, crown him with many crowns. 
God in the third person, him, and us addressing one another. We're teaching and challenging one another to rejoice in all the ways that Jesus is king, king of love and life and peace. In fact, some songs that we sing are teaching and challenging us even when we are singing not to God and not to one another, but get this, to stuff, to things. This is weird, but I thought of this this week. We sing this wonderful hymn based on a psalm, Lift up your heads, ye mighty gates. You know that one? Who are we talking to? No one. We're talking to a hole in a city wall with a door of wood and iron, and we're telling it to open up and to let the king come in. That's weird, huh? We're singing at a gate. We're singing at a door. We're talking to a wall. But you see what's happening, don't you, in a song like that? We're teaching and we're challenging each other, even as we sing, to let King Jesus enter our church, enter our lives, enter our relationships, and teach us how to sing. And as we sing, teach us more about himself. We're inviting him to sing his song inside us and out among us until we have all learned to sing, until we have all learned what it is we're singing about, until the song of our hearts and our lives and our fellowship together is sweet like amazing grace. Friends, when loneliness and sorrow and disappointment creep up on you, and they will. If they're not right now, they will soon. You are going to be tempted to sing the wrong song altogether. A song that maybe makes you feel better for the three and a half minutes that that song lasts. To get out of this cycle of singing the wrong songs, of making an ugly noise instead of a joyful one, You've got to hear the song of the Savior. Jesus sang. Jesus still sings. And his song is the right song. And it's always in tune with the grace and the truth and the love of his heavenly Father. And this can, this must become your song and my song and our song. With our very words. Especially with our very lives. Look around you. You have musicians all around you. People with great spiritual pitch and rhythm. Maybe even people with some swing or some twang. We've got to be filled up with the Holy Spirit and inspired. We've got to teach one another with our lives and literally with our songs to sing. Because the song of God's love in Christ Jesus endures forever, just like the love that that song is all about. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Jesus we have finally heard your song of love loud and clear and beautiful. Captivate our emotions and our hearts and our minds and our bodies with your affectionate song for us. And so fill us with your spirit, reminding us that we are Dearly beloved children, that everywhere we go and everything we do and everything we think and everything we feel, 
would be shaped and would be in tune with your great love for us in Jesus Christ. Give us an abundance of your Holy Spirit that we might sing not just with our lips but with our lives and become a people that savors and loves to sing to one another and to the world around us of your great and unending love. We ask it together in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.